can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. How many know God is a good God? We've been talking about, for the last few weeks, possessing the promises for 2011. And I hope you have your promise in your heart so that you can believe God for it. Amen? And last week, we talked about professing the promise. In other words, we must line our words up with God's promises that are in our hearts so that we can receive them in our lives. Next week, we're going to be focusing on prayer and fasting and how doing those two things can help position us to deny our flesh and hear from God better. Sometimes you have to push away from the table so your flesh can die so your spirit can hear. And today I want to share something with you that I believe guarantees each one of us for promise manifestation. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, he's about to tell you how to get all of your promises guaranteed. Amen. I want to talk today on how to guarantee the promises of God, manifestation in your life. And, and, and here's the topic. It's different from what I gave the bookstore. So the bookstore, so don't pay attention to what's on the CD, all right? But it's on practicing for the promise. Practicing for the promise. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, he changed up on us today. Now look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor, he's ready for you right now. Amen. I want you to find two verses of scripture, if you would. I want you to find Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. And then I want you to find... Uh, Luke chapter 1. Well, let's do this. We'll say Luke chapter 11, and then we'll say Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. So that's Luke chapter 11, verse 1, and that is Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Amen. Sounds like Jesus is on the line. Find out what he wants. I have found through my 25 years of walking with God, that one of the most primary ingredients that most people miss when it comes to believing God for what they're, what they're designed for is them consistently practicing the disciplines of obedience. And if we're going to receive the promises of God for 2011, we're going to have to get in position to practice for the promise. Someone say amen to that. Amen. So here's the first point I want to give you, and then I'm gonna, we're going to get into the scriptures. Kingdom desires should always precede personal desires. I want you to write that down if you're taking notes. Kingdom desires should always precede personal desires. Basically, what I'm saying is your personal de desires should not over, uh, overshadow God's desires or kingdom desires. Amen. Now, let's look at this. 
because I, I saw a principle in the prayer that Jesus was teaching his disciples. And in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place. Notice Jesus went to a certain place. Say a certain place. You can't pray everywhere. You can't pray in traffic. Man, it's hard to pray in traffic. All you can do is probably pray in tongues, but that's about it. It says, And when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. As John also taught his disciples. Verse 2. And he said unto them, When you pray. When who pray? Okay, when you pray, he say, I want you to say this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Basically, he's saying, the first thing you need to do is acknowledge who God is. You need to understand his power and his position in your life. The Bible says when you come to God, you must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Basically, he's saying when you start off your prayer, don't start off with your stuff. Start off with his stuff. He said, holy be your name. But I love the rest of it. The second thing that's on the agenda of your prayer should not be what you want. Notice he says, thy kingdom come. And then he says, thy will be done. Notice what he says. In heaven. And so it is in the earth. In other words, God has an agenda. And it's a kingdom agenda. And if we're going to possess the promises of God for 2011, the kingdom agenda has to precede your agenda. Amen. So kingdom desires should always precede personal desires. Now keep your hand here because we're going to come back and I want you to go now over to Matthew chapter 6. Let me show you this same principle again. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. I'm going to start. Let's look at verse 32. Verse 31. Therefore, take no thought. Say no thought. He said, take no thought saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? He says, for after all these things do the world and the Gentiles seek after. He says, but your heavenly father knows that you have need of all these things. He said, don't don't come to God with that stuff. He said, because that stuff is guaranteed if you do the next thing. Here's the next thing. He said, but seek ye second. What does it say, class? It says, seek ye first the what? The kingdom of me. Whose kingdom? It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things and stuff and clothes and, and, and money and food. And he said, all that stuff is guaranteed. So in other words, I'm saying for the first point, as we practice for the promise, the, the kingdom has to be first. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Now, go back over. Well, let's, let's read. Uh, let's go back over to Luke chapter 11. Go back over to Luke chapter 11. Let me show you this. Let me show you what happens when uh, kingdom desires precede personal desires. Uh, And as we do that, I want you to write down this as a giving statement or as a take-home statement. When we make God's business our business, God then makes our business his business. Now, I said that two weeks ago, and I couldn't get it straight. 
but I went back and listened to the CD. I rewinded. Okay, I got it now. I'm going to say it again because I want, I want you to get it in your heart. When we make God's business our business, God then makes our business his business. I want you to repeat after me. Say, when we make God's business our business, God then makes our business his business. Amen. Uh, let's skip over. Go to Luke chapter 2. Well, stay in Luke chapter 11. Stay, since we're there, let's, let's stay there. Look now and, and go back to the prayer. Because I want you to see the order of this. After he says, pray about the kingdom. And then he says, pray about his will. Notice the order of that. It's the kingdom of God and then his will because you can actually participate in the kingdom and be disobedient in, his, in, in, in God's will for your personal life. In other words, you can be a good usher at church and then cuss your husband out when you get home. Then you get home, you better get your... Somebody know what I'm talking about. Let's now read the third thing on the list. He said, after we've talked about praising you of who you are, and then acknowledging your kingdom, and then your will being done in my life, then he says, give me now this day my daily bread. See, we've been starting out wrong. We start out with, Lord, I need. Lord, I won't. Lord, you better do this or I'm going to leave this man. But see, really, our needs are on the third list. It's on the third category. And you know what? A lot of things that you need, you wouldn't even have to pray for if the kingdom was first. See, really, 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 we should really be praying for what we want, not for what we need. See, based on what we just read, okay, in Matthew 6, he says, when you seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be done unto you. So really, I shouldn't have to really pray for my needs because my needs ought to be met when I got the kingdom first. Yeah. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 2, verse 4. Now, you don't have to go there. This is what it says. It says, and Jesus said unto them, how do you not know and saw me? Don't you not know I must be about my father's business? Jesus had God's kingdom in perspective when he got here. See, most of us th think that we're here for God or God is here for us, really. In other words, you wake up for God to do what you want him to do. When you really should be waking up saying, God, what do you want me to do for you today? Amen. So we must keep his kingdom first. Now, let me... Just put this in as an insert. The kingdom are not just activities involved in the church, which it does include that. That's why we try to get you involved because, see, you help fulfill God's kingdom as you participate in the church. So some of you all who are sitting on the bench, you're losing some of your, 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 your uh, promise activity or energy. You, you, you're losing it because he's waiting on you to get involved. But then the second thing that I noticed is that when you're talking about the kingdom, it always relates to people. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten. Why did he give his only son? For people. So if we're not reaching out to people, 
telling them about the good news. Notice I said good news. They, listen, how can you expect your coworker who just got saved to stop smoking when it took you 15 years to stop? Uh-oh. How are you going to expect them to stop cussing and you still cussing and you've been saved for five years? In other words, you need to be giving them good news. Guess what? God can help you stop. And he can bless you in the process. Amen. So it's always about people business. And many times we get so selfish. We don't invite nobody to church. We don't talk to Jesus about nobody. I ain't talking to Jesus about nobody. Listen, every man for himself. And, and I know, I know we all have our issues. You know, we all have opportunity to sin. We all have opportunity to have devil level moments. We have them. But you don't have to participate in the moment. I mean, I had an opportunity when I was on my way to Haiti this week to have a devil level moment. I sure did. I had an opportunity. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, he had an opportunity. Listen, first of all, I was late for the flight because the the, the traffic on 360 was just awful that morning. The the, the guy came two hours early and we still barely made it. So since I barely made it, uh, they had assigned my seat to somebody else. Now, I, I fly first class, and before you just, you know, throw rocks at me, I flew, I flew coach for 40 years. Okay, so I ought to be able to at least fly first class right now. But that's not really the reason I fly first class. The reason I fly first class is because coach seats are right there on my knees. And I have to pray the whole time for that person to not let their seat back. Lord, please don't let them let their seat back. Because I, I just, there's just no room. They don't build a plane for a six-four person. I have bumped my head so many times on those little televisions that they that come down and give y'all the news. You know what I'm talking about? So this guy, I get to my seat, and I look at my ticket. I look at him. I look at my ticket, and I look at him, and I said, so you in 6B too? He said, well, they put me up here. I said, well, this is my seat. So instead of getting up to go talk to the stewardess, he stayed there. So I put my bag in the seat because he stood up at that point. Once you stand up, it's too late. I put the bag in the seat and I went to get the steward. I said, excuse me, ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. He, he needs another seat. She's like, oh, you need another seat? I said, no, no, no. I don't need another seat. He needs another seat. So while that she was straightening it out, I'm standing in the aisle. Can't nobody get by. So he has the mitigated gall to ask me, to, can you just let them go by? Everybody say devil level moment. That was a devil level moment for me right there. Because what I wanted to say is you need to get your butt in the aisle and let me get in my seat and you let them by. But I didn't do that. Some of y'all looking like, good Lord, what did he say that? No, I didn't say it. I just said, I just said, I, I just, I said, well, how am I going to do that, sir? Because see, if I did it, my, my behind was going to be in front of somebody's face. Or, you know, I was just in the way. So I still kind of squeeze in because I'm a smaller person. I just let them go by. But I had a chance to, to go off. But had I done that, I wouldn't have been able to talk to, to the guy next to me about the Lord. Everybody say the kingdom got to be first. Kingdom got to be first. Okay, here's number two. Here's number two. 
Go to Luke chapter 1. Go to Luke chapter 1. Are we in Luke 1? We're in Luke 11. Go to Luke 1. When we do kingdom work and obey God's will for our lives, then our wishes come to pass. I'm going to say it again. When we do kingdom work, everybody say kingdom work. When we're participating in the kingdom, then the second thing I have to do, I have to obey God's will for my life. And then guess what? My wishes come to pass. In Luke chapter one, are you there? I'm going to look in verse five, Luke chapter one, verse five. Here's a great example of this situation. This man was in the process of serving the kingdom. He was obeying God and it was something that that was in him and his wife's heart that had not come to pass, and this man was old. And so what happened, we're going to pick it up in verse 5. It says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. He was of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord. In other words, they were obedient. They, They allowed God to to uh, shape their lives through their obedience. But then it says in verse 7, but they had no child. And because of that, Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. Look in verse 8. Notice he's serving the Lord. And it came to pass that while he was executing the priest's office before God in the order of his course, in other words, he was at work serving in the kingdom. He was a priest that was assigned at that time to be in the temple. So he is doing his job. He's obeying God. He's fulfilling uh, the works of the kingdom. And what happened was in verse 9, it says, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when you went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude outside was praying outside at the time of the incense. Watch what happened. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side. And in verse 12, it says, and when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled. I'd have been troubled too. You mean an angel? Yeah, I'd be scared at first. Then verse 13. But the angel said to him, fear not, Zacharias, for your prayer has been what? Heard. Heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, is going to bear a son, and you're going to call his name what? Here's what I want you to see. He was busy doing the things of the kingdom. And while he was being busy with the kingdom and being obedient to God, his personal desire came up before God. And God said, you know what? I'm going to give you a son. And that's what happens when we obey God. Write down Luke chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. You won't go there, but it says, it says, after Peter allowed Jesus to use his boat, this is what it talks about. Remember when Peter used, uh, when Jesus used Peter's boat? Right after he used Peter's boat, then Jesus allowed Peter's wishes to come to pass. Remember, Peter had been fishing all night. He had been working all night and he caught nothing. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the scene and says, can I use your boat? Can I use your stuff? Can I borrow really what's already mine that you are supposed to be managing? Can I have it right now? Now, Peter had enough sense to say, okay, I, okay well, I ain't got nothing to do. Okay, go ahead. You got the floor. So the Bible said, Jesus, he preached from the boat. But after he preached from the boat, Because whenever you do kingdom work and you obey God, see, Peter could have said, no, you can't use my boat. Here he was walking with God, walking with Jesus. 
And he could have said, well, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm already following you. What else do you want from me? In other words, he was an usher in the church, and then God told him to do something, you know, uh, out of the norm, and he was, I ain't doing that, but he decided to do it. And in his doing, the Bible says he caught a great multitude of fishes. In other words, his personal obedience brought blessings to his life. Listen to me. The best time to obey God is in the tough times. I want you to write this, write this down as a take-home statement. Our obedience to God brings joy to him and brings blessing to us. I'm going to say it again. Our obedience to God, it brings joy to him and it brings blessings to us. Amen. Now, uh, write down John chapter 6 verse 9. This is when the little boy had uh, five loaves of, uh, of bread and two fishes and Jesus wanted to feed the multitude. Most people don't, don't think... What happened next? Remember now, they took, they didn't even ask the boy for the stuff. They just said, well, there's a little boy with some food. They just took the boy's food. They took, it, they took his, 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 his sandwich. And, you know, Jesus fed the multitude. But, but what most people miss is that this lad started out with only five loaves of, of bread. But after he gave it to Jesus, after he obeyed the Lord, his resources for the kingdom got used. And what happened is he got 12 baskets full back. I mean, I would rather have 12 baskets full than to have five loaves. How many know 12 baskets full is more than five loaves? In other words, this lad's obedience brought him blessing and that's what's going to happen to us. That's what we got to practice the promise. We got to practice. We got to, man, some of us, what, what are you trying to stop doing in 2011 that you were doing in 2010? See, when you listen to messages like this, you got to listen to, okay, what am I not doing? Okay, let me get my life together. Okay, uh, maybe I need to be more nicer in my relationship with my wife or my husband. Maybe I need to be a little bit more kind. Maybe I need to be a little bit more patient. What are you working on? Because if you're not working on nothing, you're going to get the same results you got last year. Amen. 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 Now, go to Job 36.11 because I'm going to end this with, some, with, a, with a little bang here. Job 36.11. Let me, here's the third point. My individual obedience to God's will will always profit my life. When you obey God, when you obey him in your individual life, it will always profit your life. In Job 36, 11, it says, are you there? Say, I'm there. I love this verse. It says, if they obey and serve him, they will spend their days in what? Prosperity. And their years in what? Pleasure. In other words, God is saying, my individual obedience can can kick my life into living a good life. And that's what everybody's after. But see, everybody wants the good life without the obedient life, and it don't work like that. If, go to Jeremiah chapter 7. Go to Jeremiah 7. Go to Jeremiah 7. There are two verses I'm going to use here, and then I'm going to close. Jeremiah chapter 7. Write down verse 23 if you're taking notes. Here's what I want you to write down. Consistent obedience always reaps consistent blessings. I'm going to say it again. Consistent. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you need to be consistent. See, some of us want to be inconsistent in our obedience, but get consistent blessings, and it don't work like that. 
I want you to write the point down. Consistent obedience always reaps consistent blessings. In Jeremiah chapter 7, look at verse 23. I love it. This is what it says. It says, but this one thing, but this thing commanded out of them saying, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk you in some of my ways. He said, if you're walking all of my ways that I have commanded you, what's going to happen? Man, he said, it's going to be well with you. Now, I don't know about you, but I want it to be well with me. And sometimes being obedient doesn't look like it's going to profit you. Everybody say years ago. Years ago when I was, right before I was graduating from college. See, I was smart. I knew the word. I was doing what I taught y'all last week, last week, like 20 years ago. I knew that confession brought possession. And so I started confessing. I'm going to have multiple job offers before I finish school. And it was a tough time at that time. And all of my friends didn't have no job offers, but Eben Connor had three of them. I had three job opportunities before I graduated from college. And so, you know, uh, I interviewed with all of them. And one of them, they flew me down to Ohio to, to do the final interview. And it was like, uh, I think it was like 10 of us that interviewed. And I was sitting there at the table thinking, I don't know why they wasted all their money to bring all these other people when this is my job. Now, when they told me how much the job started on, I didn't want the job after that. At the time, the job was only paying $18,000 a year. Now, the other two jobs offered a little bit more. I think one was at 22 and one was at 24. But the Lord told me to take this job. And I said, Lord, are you sure you want me to take this job? You know, I'm just coming out of college. I got all these school loans. Are you sure? And of course, he confirmed it with the word. I knew it. I said, okay. I took the, well, watch this. First, they had to offer me the job. Well, they did that the next day. After I interviewed, they said, oh, it's going to be a couple of weeks before we get back to anybody. As soon as I got back to school, they called me. Would you like the job? I said, I've been waiting on you to call me anyway. Because <laughs> I was already confessing it. Well, what's my point? That job was making less than the other two. But see, God knew in three years, that, that job would go from 18000 to 36000 And one of the jobs, the other job that I didn't take was a government job. And government don't give you no raise like that, do they? Some of y'all who work for the government know what I'm talking about. In other words, even though it didn't look like obedience would profit me, it profited me anyway. Somebody say amen to that. Now, look at Jeremiah chapter three, look, uh, chapter seven, look in verse 24 real quick. Because, see, there are some consequences to disobedience. See, I can't just tell you about obedience without telling you about disobedience. I can't do that. Look in verse 24. Are you there? Chapter seven, verse 24. This is what it says. It says, but they hearkened not, nor did they incline that ear, but they walked in the counsel and the imagination of their own evil heart. Now, watch what happens when you do things your way. It says they went backwards. Come on, help me, class. Instead of what? Now, 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 if you are going backwards right now in your life, I, I want you to examine your consistency of obedience. Now, see, the devil paints obedience as a bad picture. Because he don't want you to see the other side of it. All he's showing you are the temporary restraints. That, that you have to endure. 
All he's showing you are the temporary situations and feelings and all the stuff that you may have to deny yourself of. But he don't show you the other, other side of the other side of, of obedience is always blessing. Write down Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It said, let's go there and then we'll close. Because I only had my clock for 25 minutes. So I'm, I'm still good. I'm still good. It's uh, only 10, 10.02. I'm getting ready to close right now. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. That was a short word right there. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 12. Look in verse 1. See, this happened in the life of Abraham. Abraham had to do something he wasn't used to. That's what obedience sometimes causes. You have to do stuff you're not used to. I know you're not used to tithing, but your whole family been broke all their life. What do you have to lose? <laughs> Touch your neighbor, say neighbor. He talking about your mama right now. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Think about it. Everybody in your family, they was broke. Well, why not do it God's way? Well, Abraham had to do something that was out of the norm. Look in verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, now the Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, I need you to get out of Dallas. I need you to get away from your kinfolk, all of them. Get away from Baby them and, 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 and Bobo and Chi-Chi and, and all the rest of them. He said, get away from them. Leave your father's house. And then I, I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. But then look in chapter 13. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. After he says that to him in, in, him in verse 1, look at verse 2. He says, after you do that, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make your name great. And you're going to be a blessing, verse 3. And I will bless them that bless you. And I will curse them that curse you. And in, all, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He said, Abraham, if you'll do what I'm telling you to do, you're going to be so blessed that the families after you are going to get blessed. Yeah. Well, look what happened in chapter 13. Look at verse 1. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife. He left his father's house like God told him. And all that he had, and Lot was with him, and he went into the south. Verse 2. And Abraham was very, not just rich. Everybody say very rich. He was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in what? Man, I don't know what happened between chapter 12 and chapter 13. But I tell you what, he ended up better in chapter 13 than he did in chapter 12. And sometimes there's some folks in your life that you need to get rid of for God to bless you. I'm telling you, some of you all have some leeches in your life. You know, all leeches are designed to do is just suck blood. That's all. Some of you all, you're getting the life sucked out of you spiritually and financially because you just letting them suck. Leeches, leeches. <laughs> you wonder why you wake up at night itching and scratching and going on. It's, you got leeches on you. Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking. You're thinking, well, 
if my husband would act right and obey God, or if my wife would act right and obey God, or if so-and-so, if my boss was saved and was a Christian, and if my co-worker... See, what you don't know is that God will bless you for your obedience in spite of who is walking in disobedience. Well, since we're in Genesis, let's go to chapter 20. This is the last one. Might as well. Might as well. I got the flow right now. Look in Genesis chapter 20, verse 17. Now, let me give you the background on this situation. Basically, Abraham was a chicken and decided to lie and, and tell a king that his wife was really his sister. Well, in doing that, he put his wife in jeopardy. In other words, Abraham was a liar. Well, let's see what happened in verse 17 of chapter 20. Are you there? Say, I'm there. Watch what happened. So Abraham prayed unto God and and God healed Abimelech, which was the king, because what had happened was uh, boils and, and all types of stuff started coming on the king. And look what happened. It says, and he healed his, uh, Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the, watch this now. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech. Watch this now. Read it with me. Because of Sarah's Abraham's wife. I'm going to add one more thing. Because of Sarah's obedience to God. See, she could have just been cussing Abraham out the whole way. But no, she stayed obedient to to God. And I don't care who's in your life that's disobedient. God will still bless you if you obey him. Well, well, my husband don't believe in tithing. Then you tithe. Because, see, God will bless you. See, some people think, well, some of y'all feel like you're in hostage. You're held hostage because of somebody else's disobedience. No, you're not. God will, listen, I'm going to say it again. He will bless you for your obedience in spite of who is walking in disobedience. What time is it? Eight pass. Hmm. I know I got tithing offering. I know I got that. Get that, get that ready while I'm talking. I wonder what would have happened had I not obeyed God to start this church. Let me tell you something. When God told me to start this church, you know what he told me? He said, I want you to start a church in Orleans, huh? And if you don't do it, I'll get somebody else to do it because you're not the first one I asked anyway. I was like, well, thank you very much. I appreciate your confidence in me. No, 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 no. You don't understand. He had asked somebody else to do this. They apparently said no. I wonder how many lives would not have been changed had I not been obedient. I wonder how many lives would not be changed because of your obedience. Because your obedience is connected to another life. Did you get something out of the word today? Give the Lord a hand clap if you would. You may be here today and your life is not right with God. If you die today, you.